and welcome to My Therapist Friends. My name is Anise Cantor. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. And this is Dr. Leslie Sedlis, and I am a licensed clinical psychologist. And we are your therapist friends. Hi, Denise. Hi, Leslie. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Friday. Happy Friday. I'm so excited to be having another conversation with you today. We're in 2021. We're all trying to do our best to move forward. And I, I feel like a lot of people are maybe in a position to be interested, maybe for the first time in starting therapy or even just considering it as an option. So I think I wanted to kind of break down the conversation about reasons for why someone might look for a therapist. And I think specifically because there's so much stigma around this, I want to just talk about it. So what are some things or some reasons why someone might be looking for a therapist? I think it can range from intensity of symptoms. I think it's really common for people to think that in order for you to seek therapy, you have to be very, very depressed or very, very sad to the point where you can't function, you can't go to work, you can't hold up your relationships or go to school, you can't do the basic self-care. And it's true, you should absolutely be reaching out and asking for support if you're in that situation, but it doesn't necessarily have to get to that point. I'm actually a very big advocate of developing a self-awareness so that when something starts to feel off, that you then reach for help instead of waiting until it gets really, really bad that you need a lot more support and a lot more help. So I think that if you are starting to feel that something is off, and by off, I mean you're starting to feel less motivation and interest in things that you used to or more anxiety. My biggest things that I always ask my patients to keep track of are their sleep schedule and their appetite. And the moment that those two, either of those two are thrown off, I need them to let me know and start to put in place their coping skills and figure out what is happening for them in their lives that is creating the change or the effect in their sleep and eating schedules. Because that will help you prevent yourself from getting to the point where it is so severe and it really feels so overwhelming for you. Mm -hmm. Well, often we're looking for and assessing for symptoms and changes in functioning. So that would equal changes in everything in your life, whether that be your social life, your emotional functioning, how you function at work, at school. But I agree with you that things don't have to be super severe for you to seek out support that when you do start noticing maybe a small change, or maybe, you know, you have interest in wanting to get to know yourself more. Therapy is a, a space where you can do a lot of different things. And I hope that as time goes by, we realize that obviously we live in, in a society that's very go, go, go. And it's sort of like you just got to keep going and keep doing what you're doing and work and do all these things. And you're supposed to have your shit all together all the time. Mm -hmm. 
but that's not really, I think, realistic. And so I hope that as a society, we start to realize that it's okay if things are hard for you, that it's okay if you're feeling stressed out, and that it's okay to seek support around that to help figure out what to do to help manage it before it gets to a point where you can't get out of bed anymore. So I think healthy does not equal no symptoms at all. Healthy does not equal not feeling depressed or sad or stressed or tired. I think that, you know, a shift in that focus can help us understand that it's okay to seek out a therapist or a counselor at whatever point in your life too. It could be at any point. It doesn't have to be at a certain age. It can be at any point of development. So I think part of the conversation that I wanted to include here too is maybe helping you understand what you can maybe expect when you take that step if that is something that you're interested in. Mm -hmm. So I'm really curious, Denise, for you, when you sought out therapy for the first time, what was that process like for you? I started by reaching out to the school counselors when I was in undergrad. I, I was struggling with my own mental health. It, it was difficult to move out by myself and have to figure everything out on my own. And I was seeing the school counselors, though, for just a short period of time. They were changing every three months so I think it was every quarter I would just get a new therapist, which was really frustrating because I felt like I had to start over. And then eventually they were like, you know, for more consistency, you could go outside of campus and pay for your own therapy, which was crazy expensive. Mm -hmm. I made calls to all these therapists and they were like, sorry, like $80, you know, $70. And for me at that time, I mean, I was working, I was working part-time as a waitress while going to school and there was no way that I could pay for my books and my rent and my food and then what is that 70 times four 280 dollars like that was a lot of money back then um it still is a significant amount of money so eventually I decided to just stop therapy because it was too expensive and the counseling at school it, it wasn't really helping because I had to change a new therapist every you know, three months and then there was summer break and I didn't have any therapy at this time. So I just gave up. But from there, eventually I was able to, when I moved back to Pasadena, I kind of made a lot of different calls at all these different clinics. And I was trying to ask for referrals. I kept saying like, if you can't give me anything or can you send me to someone who can? And eventually I found that Planned Parenthood was offering therapy for $10 a session. So I started with them and it was finally consistent for a few months, for like two or three months, I think. And then my therapist moved to San Francisco and she referred me to her colleague so that I, this is, you know, a good ethical practice is to refer your clients to someone else if you can't provide them services anymore. And that's how I met my therapist who is still my therapist she's known me for a good chunk of my life and she was finally the one person that I was able to stay consistent with and she was so kind and understanding and she really met me where I was at financially and I really appreciate that and I think that experience also shaped the way that I kind of do my payment structure because I understand that 
people can't afford it and it sucks. I hate the idea that someone wouldn't do therapy because they can't afford it. I was in that spot and it's so frustrating when you're asking for help and a therapist is just like, mm, sorry, no, I can't go anything lower than that without any show of empathy of like, I'm, I never even got a sorry and they didn't even refer me to anybody else. It was just like, nope, the lowest I could do is $70. So, you know, that was it. Nobody offered help. So I always make sure that I, I at least say that I understand if they can't afford it. I try to adjust it as much as possible, as much as it is financially feasible for me, and then provide them with referrals if they still can't afford it. Because I think that's important too, just based on my own experience. So it was a, it was a long journey to find a therapist that I clicked with and I, I was able to afford and that could actually help me consistently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it sounds like a pretty good summary of what probably most people experience at first, right? Having to cycle through a couple different therapists, especially in community agencies where people are training and they do leave after a year and then you have to kind of adjust to that. And it is difficult. I would say that I didn't cycle as much, but I would agree that I also felt like gosh, how am I going to afford this? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. which is a, it sucks so bad. It does really suck so bad that that money has to be a barrier to our health. And I remember initially, like I knew I needed to go to therapy. <laughs> I knew that I, I wanted the support. And I knew at the time, I had a lot of identity stuff that I wanted to work through. And because I was going through a doctoral program, it it's part of the requirement for you to get your degree. So I think it's like 25 or 35 hours of personal therapy that you have to do in order to pass or be part of, you know, like get your diploma, which at the time I was kind of upset about because <laughs> I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to, I think, be forced to do something. I wanted it to be on my own time even though I knew that I needed it. I just kind of like bit the bullet and decided to just do it. I think either my second, I think it was my second year of grad school. And I got a referral from a professor to someone and I stuck with that therapist for a while, but I don't think it was the best fit. And I think there had to, it had to do with some cultural differences But also, I think it was just the vibe, you know, like the vibe of just, you know, relationships. Sometimes they, sometimes you just, it just don't don't click. And I felt like that was a situation where, I don't know, it just, it didn't, it didn't sit right. And Mm -hmm. I did actually end up getting a referral for another therapist through, through someone else. And that was a lot better for me. And I felt finally like, okay, I... I get along with this person. They're very kind, very nurturing. And I feel understood was the biggest thing. Like, I feel like she understands where I'm coming from. So I jumped around too from therapist to therapist. And then also, yeah, I would agree that the finances were a bit of a struggle. But I would say that my second therapist was similar to yours where she was like, well, what what can you afford? Mm -hmm. And did slide for me, which was really great. And slid a lot because she her fee is pretty high. She's a doctoral level clinician as well. 
and yeah i was very very thankful you know after that but i mean i guess i want to talk about too like before kind of making that initial appointment what were some of the feelings you had or reservations if any making that appointment i think it was my mom's friend's daughter at that time um was talking about therapy and suggested it for me and i was like but i'm not like messed up yeah <laughs> like i'm not that bad i think was my thought like i'm not that bad i don't need to go to therapy and she just let me know that you don't have to be that bad to go to therapy that it's okay if you just need support and someone to talk to or vent to you know while therapy sessions aren't all venting you can use that space to vent if you that's what you need in that moment and then i could find ways to help myself feel better so i was definitely hesitant at first because the idea of therapy was not for me and i also remember seeing it like on tv um and i think i usually saw people who went to therapy were people who like really really needed it or like rich white ladies mm -hmm. you know what's coming to mind is there were some tv shows where somebody had a therapist i think sex in the city that's where i saw i didn't even watch it i've never even seen it but i do remember i saw one episode <laughs> where she went to therapy or something i'm not sure if she had a long-term therapist um but like the one episode that i saw from that show uh, she had a therapist and then I saw another show or maybe like a movie or something where the main character went to therapy. And so my idea was like, either I have to be like rich, a rich socialite in New York, or I need to be super, super messed up, quote, mm -hmm. messed up, whatever that means to go to therapy. So I, I was definitely hesitant and the money issue for sure. Yeah, I I agree that some of those pictures came up for me too. Even though obviously I was going to school to become <laughs> to become yeah. a psychologist, I think those some of those uh, stereotypes and just common images of what a therapist is was definitely a barrier. So, like a white old white man, and you would be laying on a couch, like staring at the ceiling, <laughs> and they would be. <laughs> saying mm -hmm, tell me more about that you know like how that kind of thing that? how do you feel about that which we do say but <laughs> not like that <laughs> so yeah i also even though like i was getting training and, and under having a better understanding of how therapy practices have changed over the years and how people actually face one another when they're talking and you're not on a couch like staring at the ceiling um, I still felt that like reservation and fear almost of like, this person's just not going to understand me. Like there's not going to be a human connection here. They just are going to sit there and listen. And mm. um, when I actually went into it, I started seeing that, yeah, that was, it's very different. <laughs> very, very different. Actually, I think my first, well, the therapist that I found right before the therapist that I stayed with before Brooke, she processed that with me, actually. I think she had me tell her what I thought therapy was like. And she processed that with me because I remember thinking I, a therapist is also like a friend that you pay for, you know, like you're paying <laughs> someone to be your friend. And she was 
very kind and patient with me and explained to me that that's actually not the kind of relationship that her and I are going to have. She does. She's not going to be disingenuous. It's not like she only cares because I was going to be giving her money, but that she was also invested in helping me, right? The agreement was that she would support me and help me understand myself better and find ways that are going to help me. And that's what it was going to be for and not a friend that I'm paying for. Yes. Yes. And I also, I think what made a difference the the second time around was that I did feel like it was a lot more of a conversation rather than like a question, like a Q and a kind of thing. It felt, yeah, it felt more genuine. I don't know. She wanted to understand where I was coming from. And I think, yeah that was helpful yeah but I I did have some quirky experiences (laughs) I I took a break from Brooke because I I was feeling better she helped me and and I felt more stable and then when I started grad school it was also a requirement for us to go and I was working I was going to school there was a lot that was happening and I thought well let me see if I can find some free therapy or low-cost therapy let me just see what's out there instead of going back to Brooke and it's kind of like dating it really is because you, you have to go, you try them on and say, okay, how was it? Do they get me? How did they respond to me? And even if they don't do or say something that is horrible necessarily, sometimes there is this feeling of we're just not clicking. You know, mm-hmm. it, just, it just doesn't feel like a good fit. And so I try to remind myself of that when I have free consultations with people and they decide not to go with me. I'm like, hey, it wasn't a good fit and that's okay. Not necessarily because either one of us is quote bad or anything. It just wasn't a good fit and you should feel comfortable and accepted and seen and validated by your therapist. So, but I did have one more than one occasion where I went to see a few therapists and this is when I realized how important it is to have a therapist who understands you and who's culturally competent. Because some of the things that I was told in my initial sessions, you know, I had one therapist ask me if I was having sex with partners and that she would recommend that I completely abstain from sex because it's not good for me and what? get pregnant, like it's like to wait for marriage and all of this stuff. And I had another one that I told her, I was like, I'm in grad school. I want to become a therapist. And she was like, oh, but you're so young. Don't you think that you should wait and like have more of a life experience before you go to school? I was like, wow. What? (laughs) I'm sorry. You're supposed to be my therapist, right? Like that's what this is supposed to be. And then like another one, I was living with my family and there were the feedback I guess that I received from that therapist was but you're so old like you're in your 20s why are you living with family I had that too yeah and it's like um technically I'm still very young and as a Mexican woman I should not leave my house until I'm married (laughs) so right actually this is very appropriate in my culture for me to live with my parents for a long time on top of the fact that I cannot afford to live by myself but I have myself have experienced what it's like to have a therapist who's not culturally competent, not culturally sensitive. And 
is unfortunately unaware. I'm not sure if the better word is a lack of self-awareness and education. I'm mm-hmm. not sure. So I think that it is important to have a therapist who, who like gets your culture and understands you and it makes you feel seen and validated. Yeah, I had a similar experience with that first therapist where they made comment, you know, some of the stuff that I was talking about was like family relationships and I, you know, living with my family and she like I understood where she was coming from, but she was saying things that were kind of alluding to me needing to move out. And I think I think at that point, that's when I was like, all right, this just really is not going to work. Like I had already been feeling like this Mm -hmm. isn't going to work. But then when I got faced with that, I was like, she doesn't get it. Like she doesn't understand my experience. And I, I think it's like really good work (laughs) to be able to bring up this in therapy with your therapist if you're having a problem with it. And also, I think at the time I was just like, I don't want to do it. (laughs) Like I don't want to have this conversation with this person. (laughs) And so I ended up just breaking up with her through email. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And she was kind and, and like asked if I wanted to come back for like a final session to process, you know, this rupture. And, Mm. but I think I was just like, Nope, I'm not doing that Mm -hmm. right now. And I wasn't, I think that at the time, I don't think I was ready to do something like that. I think now I could obviously, but yeah, at at that point I was just like, I need to find someone that like actually can have some understanding or will at least try to like understand where I'm coming from without having like a very specific framework and uh, about like family dynamics and relationships because that was coming from a place right that was of difference mm-hmm. and it it kind of it kind of threw me off because this person was a person of color mm. and they weren't latin but they were a person of color and i was like wait what <laughs> like i was so confused <laughs> But you're right in that there are some people where it's just not a good match. They're not culturally sensitive or culturally competent and have maybe an understanding of how maybe statements like that can land for someone. I I, I wonder, do you think that it's important for a therapist to be of your same background? I think it can be helpful, but it's not necessary. Uh, my therapist is not Latinx, but she's been open to one feedback. She's never said anything that was extremely problematic, but there have been moments where I'm like, mm, I don't know about that, Brooke. You know, <laughs> when you said that to me, I mean, I don't, I didn't address it in the moment, but I, I did in the session afterwards, I would say, you know, last week, like this came up and you said it like this, and this is how I felt about that. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that's how you meant it. And she was super open to that and we would clear things up. And I think that helped our relationship to be able to talk about this stuff. So I don't think it's necessary, but it can help because for example, I used up a part of my session to process this thing that she said that was culturally insensitive. And yeah, so that, that took me took time out of my session and my therapy to address it and energy from me. Right. So it's not necessary, but I think it can make things easier and you're making the best of your session because you're not having to explain certain things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. I also, my therapist is 
Caucasian white. And I, I feel like it hasn't been an issue where I've felt like she doesn't understand or has said something really egregious or bad. <laughs> but I do feel like in this relationship versus the other therapeutic relationship that I had with the previous therapist, I feel more safe in having that dialogue, mm-hmm. right? And saying like, hey, if something does come up, you know, I, I feel like I can I can talk to her about it. But with that first therapist, I didn't feel like that. And I also agree that it is easier if if you have an understanding that this other person in front of you comes from maybe a similar background and then they can understand so that you don't have to explain those differences. And often like my my caseload is predominantly Latinx. And I a thing I hear very often is I'm looking for someone of my similar background. And actually I had a phone consultation maybe like a week ago where some of these things were coming up about the like family dynamics and a previous therapist kind of suggesting moving out and Mm -hmm. it like landing uh, in a way that was a a little harmful. So yeah, these are, I think, maybe common experiences that the general minority population might experience when Mm -hmm. seeking out some, some services. There aren't as many, I think, of us Latinx therapists in comparison to maybe white majority therapists. So if we're saying that it doesn't really necessarily matter your background, right? It, it, obviously, there's some nuances there that help that help you feel a little bit more comfortable. I wonder what are what are the things then that would make someone feel comfortable? Um, and what kinds of questions would it be would be helpful for our listeners to have in their back pocket when they are shopping around for a therapist? When someone schedules a consultation with me, I'll send them like a few questions to think about because these are questions that I'm going to ask them in the consultation. And it's usually things like, what made you decide to come to therapy? What is your initial idea of therapy? What would you like to work on in therapy? And what would you need to see in yourself or feel within yourself to be able to say, yes, therapy is helping me? And that will aid me in understanding what your goal is, where you're currently at, and where you want to be, so that together we can figure out your treatment goals. But I also have my standard things that I share. I know I've seen posts where people say, ask them, do they take insurance? Is it weekly sessions? Do they do sliding scale? How much is their regular session fee? All that stuff, it is important to ask. But I always say that up front. That's something that everybody, if you're scheduling an initial consultation with me, you already know I do not take insurance. What is my regular sliding scale? Do I have any um, reduced cost sessions open? What are my limitations for my license? For example, I cannot see you if you do not live in California. I do not start any new patient on a bi-weekly basis. I have to see you weekly. And then after the assessment is complete, we can talk about what you would need moving forward. So I already myself am very upfront about, hey, this is what you need to know if you want to work with me. 
And then during the consultation, I talk about my experience, what are some common things that I do in therapy, because therapy is individualized. So there isn't one program that everybody's going through, but there are essentials or what I feel are essentials in my practice that I establish for everybody. Like all my patients know the grounding breath. It's the first thing we do in, in their assessment session. I say, listen, this is a coping skill I want you to have in your back pocket so that you can use it whenever, wherever you need it. It doesn't fix everything, but it's a really, really good start to having coping skills. So everybody has that. I assign homework. That is a basic part of my practice. Depending on your needs, it can be more, it could be less. So I'm very upfront. Like I like to tell everybody, hey, this is what you're signing up for. But it is important that if whoever you're having the consultation with, if they're not telling you these things up front, you should be asking them. Yes, absolutely. Because... Denise is amazing and she is upfront, but I think maybe other therapists might not have that approach, right? When you're making that phone call or that initial email or contact. And so I, I agree that um, having those basic uh, understandings of what to expect are, are things that I do too. I also kind of started asking potential people that are looking for services with me to do their services with me, um, what made them reach out to me specifically and how they think might mm. think that we might be a good fit. And I think oh, from I that, that I get, yeah, I get some, I've, I just started doing that <laughs> and I feel like I, I, I'm going to continue to do it because I think it helps me also understand what are the things that would that make them feel safe enough to t even have this mm -hmm. phone consultation? And some of that is because I am Latina or because of something that I wrote on my bio or because I'm queer or because, you know, like there's all these different things. And so then that helps, I think, also kind of establish rapport, even just at the beginning, before a decision has been made about our work together, if we want to continue. So yeah, I think I think I've started to ask that too. Uh, something that I want to share with our audience and and people interested in this conversation is that you have the right to ask us questions. Whatever's mm -hmm. going to make you kind of feel comfortable moving into the space with us, I think that that is okay. You can ask us a lot of questions about our education background, our training experiences. I've even had clients ask me how would you work with someone like me? And they give me like a straight up breakdown of like symptoms that mm. they have. What what have you done historically with or what has worked or with clients that like present with my same problem? Mm -hmm. And I think that that is okay, you know, for you to be able to ask. Mm -hmm. And I think also if we're specifically talking about marginalized groups, it is absolutely okay for you to ask what a therapist's experience is working with individuals of your background. Mm -hmm. So you can straight up flat out say, what is your experience working with queer people or a queer Latinx male, female, non-binary individual? Because I think that that is really important to establishing trust as well. And just, you'll get to know, like if the person is is responding in a way that, they're kind of like talking out of their ass, like, <laughs> then maybe that might not be a good fit, right? Like, maybe they don't have as much experience. And maybe, you know, it, you're gonna say something. I was going to say, you know, what's come up, actually, and I've appreciated these questions. I had someone ask me, they decided to work with me after all. So I think it went well. But they asked me, 
what my stance was on social justice and racism, you know, like, what are, what are your opinions on this? And I think it's extremely important because you don't want to sit across from someone who doesn't respect all of who you are and understands how all of who you are and your whole identity is going to affect the session, but also that their cultural identity is going to affect the session. So I loved that question. I thought it was very good, very interesting. And I hadn't been asked that before. Yeah, me too. I actually had, I've been having questions like that as well. And I appreciate them. Mm-hmm. I guess the the big, the big picture thing here is that if it, if it is something that is important for you to have in a relationship and in, in a therapeutic relationship, ask, mm-hmm. ask away. I think you should 100% do it. Yes. Even in treatment, I've had patients who are like, hey, can I ask you this thing? Even though we've already been working together for a while, but I'm curious about this part of you. Can I ask you? And for me, I, I always say you can ask me whatever you want. In general, therapists are really good at communication skills and boundaries. So if there's ever a question that I'm not comfortable answering, I will let you know. And I will also explain to you why that is. I'm never Mm -hmm. offended by a question. I'm always curious about why that question. And if I feel comfortable answering it, I will. Yes, I agree with you. I think about like how important this is for, for you and explore a little bit about why that is before even kind of disclosing so that we can kind of have an understanding. But yeah, I would say that therapists are good at, at like setting boundaries. And if there, there is a question that maybe we don't want to answer, then we won't. And that's okay, too. However, I think in phone consultation specifically, if there are certain details that you think are important for you before even just entering that relationship, that it is very, very important. There's been lots of research around therapy and what actually makes therapy work. (laughs) And one of the things that comes up over and over again is not necessarily technique or intervention, although there's lots of research around different therapies working for different presentations. But the main, main thing out of all those research studies is the therapeutic relationship. And that that is really what's going to drive the therapy and help the therapeutic process. And so I do think that the first contact with a potential therapist is really, really important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That, that is why it's so important, right, to ask those questions. You should feel seen and heard. And if you need to take the time, you don't have to make the decision in the moment when you're in the consultation with a therapist. You can just say, thank you very much for your time. I'm going to sit with this and I'll contact you once I make my decision, right? You can totally do that. I appreciate it when people do that. Take your time after the call and ask yourself, how did I feel? Did that feel good to me? Did I feel heard? Did I feel comfortable? It's normal to feel a little bit anxious and nervous, but was I super uncomfortable, mm-hmm. right? What was that really like for me? How was my body feeling, right? Did, did I, is my body uncomfortable after getting off this phone call? And if you have any other questions after your consultation, most therapists are open to answering them. Just saying, hey, I completely forgot, but this is also something that's important to me. Do you mind answering this question for me? And it's, for me personally, it's never been a problem. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I say that too. Whenever at the end of a consult, there still needs to be some like thinking about it. I do say, well, if anything comes up after, you know, our conversation today, you're more than welcome to email me and I'd be happy to answer your questions. So yeah, I agree with Denise that we are definitely open to making sure that you feel like you're you feel good about this investment, you know, that you're going to make in yourself and that it feels right mm-hmm. with us or whoever it is that you end up going with. You're going to open up to this person about things that you probably have never said to anybody else, maybe never even said aloud to yourself. So it's so, so important that you feel safe with whoever your therapist is going to be. You have to be able to trust that they're going to show up for you and hold a space for you. So ask, ask questions, be picky, treat it, tell you, treat it a little bit like dating. Like, let me try this on, ask you questions. Does this feel good? No, I'll interview the next one. Yeah. And it's okay to shop around. I think that sometimes maybe we don't have as much option because we feel like we go to like like let's say you go to a community agency that you just get assigned a specific therapist however if you feel like that isn't a good fit for you even within that context it's okay for you to request a different therapist i hope that that was helpful (laughs) and I, I think it was important for us to also share sort of like what it's like to be on the other side of the couch because we both know what it's like mm-hmm. to be there and how nerve wracking and um, scary that can be, right? To really put yourself out there and be vulnerable. Yeah. I hope that it was a helpful conversation. And if something comes up for you, don't, <laughs> don't hesitate to comment on our posts we're going to be posting about this on our instagram page so get in touch with us there like we've said in every episode we want to talk to you and of course conversations need to be two ways so hop on instagram comment dm us ask us questions if you are wondering more about the consultation process or looking for a therapist or if you need some referrals thankfully we have all these really wonderful therapists that we are linked to that are colleagues and that we can help you match with if that's what you're looking for. Yeah. Or share your stories about finding a therapist. What was that like if you already have a therapist? I'm curious too. Yeah, I'd be curious to hear what what made you feel comfortable. You know, what are those things that, that you felt like, oh, this is a good match? Yeah. Yeah, those are the that's the good yummy stuff that we want to <laughs> talk about. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us for the conversation today. Thank you, Leslie, for spending time with me today. Yeah, thank you, Denise, and thank you to our listeners. Ay los vídeos. Ay los vídeos. <laughs>